and welcome to Young, British and Black, the Naked Politics podcast exploring what it means to be young and black in Britain today. Often young black people's experiences and views are presented as one-dimensional or a monolithic experience. Through conversations with ordinary young black British people, we're hoping to paint a picture of the diversity of black British youth today. We'll be discussing the struggles and hurdles facing black youth and also highlighting the incredible joys of being young, British and black. Today, I'm really pleased to say that I'm joined by Serena, who is 21 years old. Welcome, Serena. Hi, thanks for having me. No worries. So let's get straight into it. Tell me a bit about where you're from, where you grew up, and also your um, your ethnic background as well. So I'm from South London. Um, hey, <laughs> South London people are always very proud to be from <laughs> South London, aren't they? Yeah, I'm born in um, South London. My parents, both sides of my family, come from Jamaica, so I'm like fully Jamaican on both sides. Um, yeah, I think I grew up in like a pretty normal Jamaican household, you could say. You know, listen to the reggae, go to church, have the um, like I can salt fish and like Christmas breakfast and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm, I said, sorry, from South London. I live around like Croydon area. You feel like you grew up in an area where there were lots of, lots of people like you, um, both in terms of being black and specifically having Jamaican heritage as well. Um, yeah, definitely. Especially at like my school, I went to a school that was like close to Croydon as well. And I feel like that was a very predominantly black area. Not even for like a lot of black Caribbeans, but black Africans as well. You know, I say that area is, pretty dominantly predominantly black I guess you could say and um yeah as I said a lot of people like me I guess because I'm more of like on the outside of Croydon mm. my era is has a lot of like Asian people as well so it's very like mixed I wouldn't say that a lot of like white people but very mixed with, like Asians black and stuff a lot of ethnic minorities around that area in particular I would say yeah, that's nice. I'm always like, it always warms my heart a little bit to hear that because I basically had the opposite experience. Oh, um, and I always wonder, what, what would I be like if maybe I'd had more of your experience? Like, I grew up in a really um, small suburban um, white town. When we first moved here in 1997, we were like one of the, we had to be one of the first non-white people here. So yeah, um, so it's, it's really interesting, I think, the way in which that impacts people of colour and, and black people specifically yeah. um, being in that in that environment but I think that's really nice to hear that you you grew up in such a sort of like mixed mixed area I mean do you feel like that's impacted you in any way? Definitely I feel as though compared to when I was younger because I did move house when I was younger I was in the area and the people around were more like white and so I feel like when you know I moved house and I moved into this area and I got older I really started to like just be more with like the black people I guess you could say because mm-hmm. I, I didn't there wasn't a lot of white people to be around and I like grew close bonds with them and you know there's this like stigma that like Africans or Caribbeans like separate something like yeah. that sometimes but no like where I'm, where I'm from like all, a lot of my friends like Africans and we can all just like bond together and yeah like share each other's experiences and cultures and compare each other's cultures be like competitive like whose culture is the best sometimes as jokes but um (laughs) that really helps me as well and I feel like it helped a lot of like like insecurities like black girls could have especially you know about 
their looks and like their hair and stuff but because we're all the same we can really like help each other out even help each other out with like hair tips makeup tips and find the best like foundation for our skin and not have to worry about going to different different stores and looking at different brands and stuff so yeah oh that's really nice to hear I love that um and so how did you find like school in in general kind of as a young young black woman I mean are there any experiences that are marked out and particularly for you do you feel like because were your teachers mostly black or non-white as well a lot of my teachers were white actually yeah not weird but because a lot of the students were like Asian and black like the white percentage was very low I don't really have any specific moments but I feel like because I went to a girls school there's a competition already within girls that's already just I feel like that's just brought into us through society that like girls you have to compete with each other to be the best and I feel as though for black girls in general there's a stigma there has to be one black woman and I feel like we see that all the time in like social media like commercially like when people compare for example like Cardi B to like Nicki Minaj and people compare like Beyonce to Rihanna and goes to the point where people have like compared um you know they compared Blue Ivy to um Northwest Northwest yeah Yeah. there's this there was just this thing that no one spoke about it but we all knew that we were like secretly I feel like had to like be the best and be in competition with each other because there had to be one best black girl who had to like stand on top you know especially Mm -hmm. like well even studies like hairstyles who has like the best hair who has the longest hair like all that type of stuff I feel like that's very embedded in our society and that was really looking back on it I noticed it but at the time it was just a thing like I didn't think it was anything but now looking back I was I'm like oh my gosh this is the thing that happened you know and in um, terms of kind of like being a black woman, even though you were, you were in an environment that was very black or at least was very non-white, do you ever feel like there was a hierarchy with the way in which black women were perceived? So do you ever feel like, for example, being lighter skinned was still seen as more attractive within that environment, even though it's not a white environment or having more loosely textured curls? Was that kind of stuff still there or did you feel quite removed from that? Um, I feel like that was still there. Um, it wasn't spoken about a lot, like colorism and all that stuff, but it was still there. Like a lot of the girls, not a lot of them, obviously it's different, but some of the girls that were popular, they probably were like lighter skinned, but it wasn't a thing where we liked them because they were lighter skinned. I think it was just a thing that just came, I guess you could say. And yeah, a lot of the, um, there were some kids who were like darker skinned, but it wasn't that much of a deep thing, but I remember I had a conversation with someone and someone said, you know, a lot of the darker skinned girls are funny because they have to be because they're not like beautiful. Mm. And that thing of saying, oh, like these like dark skinned women, you know, they have to be funny because as like I said, people feel like they're not popular or they're not beautiful or they're not worthy. So they have to take out all their expressions into being the class clown, you know? Um, yeah, that's what I would say. And like, so at, at the moment, have you gone to, are you still in education at the moment? Did you go to university? So I just graduated. Woo, congratulations. Yeah. We've had quite a few people on the podcast who've just graduated. So yeah, that's exciting, man. Yeah, so I graduated from uni literally this year. Um, I studied English literature at the University of Portsmouth. So I literally lived there. And So what was that like in comparison? Completely different <laughs> 
London, like, oh my gosh. I feel like the only black people who were there, most of them were just uni students. Mm. Like, I can't not, I can't imagine being black and living there because the ratio was just so, like, crazy, as you could imagine. Obviously, like, London is very, London has probably the most, I don't know the statistics, but probably the most black people in England. So going there and just seeing like obviously all our uni friends are all black and stuff which is cool you had ACS society but without that I definitely feel like I would not be able just to live there because yeah the black to white ratio is pretty mad and I rarely saw I rarely saw any black girls who weren't uni students and I used to work as well in a restaurant down there so it was just constantly obviously like like serving white people and stuff and now now I'm in London I clock like I realized the difference because now serving like customers they're a lot more friendly than they were back in Portsmouth it's like people just want their food and go they don't even talk to you and it's just so weird like my cousin who also went there he said one time he was in Lidl and he had dreads at the time and he said that just women like older white women just kept on looking at him strangely just with his hair and I was like oh my gosh crazy (laughs) yeah I mean did you have any because one of the um sometimes there's practical issues when you're black and you go to a a uni that has a very very small black population where like you can't get the things that you're used to getting whether that's the food that you like to eat things like plantain I don't know if it's plantain in Portsmouth um (laughs) or like hair products is another thing I guess online makes it easier now but like you're I don't know what the chances are finding a black hair shop in Portsmouth <laughs> barely anything I think there, there was one black hair shop in out of the whole city there was one I think there was a main one and you had to walk probably 20 minutes because the buses were so awkward I had to walk 20 or 25 minutes to the hair shop and they're overpriced so you can't even say no because you need like hair grease or something so you have to pay like 12 pounds for a tub and it's painful because you're like oh my gosh mm. my mom's from London and um, you couldn't even cook stuff like, like plantain, I say plantain. You couldn't even Sorry. cook <laughs> Plantain, plantain, a whole conversation. <laughs> yeah, I had to bring food down like plantain, green banana from London because you wouldn't be able to find that in Portsmouth at all. Like there's not really any black markets. There's rarely any black markets now in London. I feel like as the years go by, black markets in general are just, like decreasing in numbers mm. so there was not any in Portsmouth and I remember, remember one of my friends he posted on his snapchat like all this like stuff like planting green banana and stuff and I was like how did you get this and he was like my friend had to send me from London I was like oh my gosh but yeah it was it was hard especially after like for black people in general that I think there was one barbers that all the guys used to go to um <laughs> Like for girls, like if you want braids, like you have to make sure you go back to London to get your hair done, have it in for maybe six weeks, and then go back to take it out and redo it because there's no way you can do it in Portsmouth unless you've got like uni students who can do it. But um, yeah, it was a struggle for the hair products and the food, I would say. Yeah. I can remember like um, some of the black girls I knew, used to, they used to do each other's hair. So like, they took, like yeah. their braiding, I guess. I'm really crap at braiding my own hair. Um but- that like they like do each other's hair uh relax each other's hair like relaxing is probably not something you'd really a service you wouldn't have really got um in I went to uni in, in Guildford in Surrey um so quite a white space as well um so yeah that's that's really interesting and in terms of your university as well like your course 
obviously you studied English literature. Um, yeah. What was that like as a as a young Black British person? Like, do you feel like you saw yourself reflected in your course? A little bit. I would say, yeah, like, I love the course so much. Like, a lot of people didn't like their course, but I loved my course so much. It was kind of weird, though, because I think there were maybe, like, 30 students at best, so it wasn't a big course. And there's maybe, I'm going to say, like, five black students max on the course so there's very little of us oh wow think, out of how many like like 30 max so 30 max maybe five black students max like the top of my head um but yeah I did feel like I was represent I was represented um I felt like the curriculum was very was broadened compared to how it was during GCSE and um uh, English GCSE and A-level sorry mm. um you know, I read a lot of books by Toni Morrison. I read a lot of books like regarding slavery and even my dissertation. Like I was allowed to write about like African-Americans, like relationships. And I was allowed to study books written by black women, which is something that I never really thought I would be able to do because obviously when you're in like A-levels and when you're doing your GCSEs and your A-levels, you're just completely, it's like you have to read this book and you have to do your essay on this book. But with English, we could read with my degree, so we could read a a broaden a lot of. Sorry, I'm talking a lot. Nice. Um, my degree, we had a lot of um, books that we could choose from to choose our to do our own essay on. So I really had the choice of really writing what I thought was though wasn't taught in like GCSEs and A level times, but also study books written by like amazing black women that aren't even known today which is a shame but yeah yeah that's interesting and and that's interesting that you say compared to a levels and GCSE like you had a lot more freedom at uni to to have yeah. something that reflected you a lot more um because yeah I think the GCSEs and a level I did English literature a level as well obviously it was a, a while before you did but that was <laughs> pretty dead to be honest like yeah. in terms <laughs> of you know the, I mean the, the the writing is still good but like in terms of the range of different yeah views and experiences and writing that you get like it's it's pretty limited yeah. cool and one thing as well that I wanted to, to pick up on um because you obviously said that you have Jamaican heritage um and of course you're British as well is how you feel like you juggle like those two aspects of your identity because obviously Jamaica's got a, a, a really interesting history and relationship obviously with with the UK and that Jamaica as a country is essentially was created by the UK wasn't it um you know um putting you know enslaved um Africans onto mm-hmm. into Jamaica and then kind of constructing it as this this country for the for the purposes of, of generating income for the UK yeah. um like how do you ever feel about being both Jamaican and British do you ever feel like there's a source of conflict there or difficulty or do you feel like you can kind of blend the two seamlessly um I feel like I can maybe blend the two seamlessly I guess you could say I don't feel any type of like way about it you know Mm. I feel like like Jamaican culture because both my grandparents came like here from there they've really taught us I guess you could say the ways of the Jamaican lifestyle I guess you could say um but I feel like compared to people who they like who see me now like when they meet me they're all surprised that I'm Jamaican and I'm not really sure <laughs> why they just to them I'm not like the stereotypical Jamaican which I think to them is like 
loud and extra <laughs> things like a lot of songs and just does crazy dance moves and maybe because I'm not out there like that people don't really assume that I'm Jamaican at first when I tell them like oh my gosh I wouldn't have realized but it's just like you I don't know you if how one can look a certain way or whatever um but yeah that's what I would say if that kind of answers your question yeah yeah, yeah. so you, you feel like um you feel quite well balanced in in your identity yeah. and and being Jamaican and and British um yeah. and I guess like being being in London and coming from South London I guess kind of helps to reaffirm the two doesn't it because it's, it's such a nice like melting pot of those two those yeah. things and you know you've always got stuff apart from during Covid obviously like Carnival which is such an excellent like celebration of Caribbean culture specifically um, yeah so yeah awesome so take a little bit of a turn um and let's talk about summer 2020 <laughs> last year um probably know what I'm gonna ask um so yeah obviously that was like this big or felt like this kind of big or slightly strange even moment where yeah. everyone was talking about racism possibly for the first time ever um and yeah, like how did you how did you feel during that that period of time in, in the aftermath of George Floyd's death and and the, the kind of discourse that that started to happen as a result of that? I was so I was just I was just so like angry, annoyed. I was just so annoyed because me personally, I write a lot of um things. I write like blogs, I write articles and blogs, and I write a lot of like black issues regarding like young people black people and so I feel like up until George Floyd like his death I was writing so much about um like the police like responsibilities of the police and how they abuse their power and I was writing so much and then George Floyd happened and then everyone was like oh my gosh we need to like we need to act we need to come together and which is amazing but I just felt as though don't do this just because of George Floyd like make sure that this is what you do like because even though you know his death was a big thing but these things unfortunately they do happen in in america and in other countries like every day and it's not publicized and it's like i want i wanted people to still just go on the protest but still don't stop like learning don't stop like protesting after everything kind of dies down and obviously you know it's like a year on from today and i don't hear a lot of people talking about george floyd anymore or the protest as much obviously everyone's just covid 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 but yeah, that's why I put it because I just thought, I just hope that we can still keep this momentum up. We can keep on talking about race, like going on protests, demanding things that we should have had like years ago. Yeah, so you feel like it was a bit of a, a trend almost and then it kind of just like died down. Yeah. But obviously when in the moment, like it was, it was needed. People like the protests were needed. Everything that happened, it was needed. But um, yeah, it's a shame that it's not, as highlighted as it was last year. And it's interesting as well that you bring up um, things like protests and demanding change and stuff. Um, Cause I think one of the things that seemed to come out of um, like last year was white people saying that they just really didn't know what to do. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I got a lot of messages from people being like, ah, oh, what do I read? Um, <laughs> so I mean, in your like mind, like what do you think the best way is like for, for anyone, not just white people, but for anyone who cares about anti-black racism, what is, what is the best way to make a difference? You think it is, you know, 
protesting, holding our legislators to account, that kind of thing. Yeah, I also think that reading is probably one of the best things. Like, educate yourselves. Like, even though people say, even on education, just educate yourself because a lot of these things, all these issues are still happening that people don't realise just because they're not in the media. Um, so that would be one of the things, just carry on reading and don't feel like oh I can't I can't speak because I'm not like black or whatever like obviously everyone has their voice or opinion within reason and stuff but still like ask questions if you don't understand something ask there is like the internet is has so much information for everyone if you don't like to like read actual books you know like there is always someone there that you can even like message like little influencers who would help you out you know what I mean um but I would also say that try and like believe in intersectionality is that how you say it? intersectionality yeah perfect yeah <laughs> a lot of people for example they'll fight for like black liberation but they won't fight for like probably black women who are muslims or black men who are muslims and it's like if you want to fight for this if you want to fight for racism you need to fight for every black person whether they're whether they're like gay you know um transsexuals you need to fight for, i said homosexuals i should say homosexuals transsexuals you need to fight for everyone include everyone in this in your fight basically and that doesn't even go for like black people that also goes for people in different races other ethnic minorities you know we need to be inclusive and we need to accept that if we're fighting for black people we're fighting for them as a whole i'm not just fighting for black men or black women but we're also fighting for other marginalised groups that are still being slated and denounced by, like, the media and stuff. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, obviously, as, as a black woman, so you're, like, a you're intersectional. Me and you are both <laughs> intersectional, aren't we, as black women? Um, yeah, do you feel like the... Because there was lots of coverage, for example, of George Floyd's um, passing, um, which was obviously very tragic. Um, but then there was kind of less around uh, Breonna, Breonna Taylor, um, for example, who was shot by the the police while she was sleeping, um, yeah. completely mistakenly um, for no reason at all. Do, do you feel like there is a that there is a lack of like sort of attention paid to, to to black women, for example, within ideas of black radicalism, black liberation, equality, whatever type of anti racism we want to call it? Um, yeah, I do. Especially, I feel like black women have always been like not behind the scenes but they've never been really considered when it comes to their injustices when it comes to how they're treated in society and that can also come from sometimes how the media and how we've how we've taught probably black men and men in general to perceive black women you know as they'll be fine it doesn't matter and I feel like a lot of people believe that if we can get black men to a certain place then up then that's fine you know then if black men are okay and if black men if they're treated fairly then black women are treated fairly then it's fine we don't have to worry about their issues because you know we have these men in power who are black who are clearly fine within the system and therefore as black women we should also be fine within the system mm. uh, if that kind of answers your question a yeah, bit yeah, that makes sense and I also wanted to point out, also going back to like what I guess white people could do more, I feel as though we're in a very systematic, like racist society where a lot of racism comes from the system that we're in. And 
I think people need to maybe understand that as black people or ethnic minorities in general, we don't want to just become rich in this system. We want to like break the system that we've been born into and create a fairer system. And it's not just about, you know, having millions of pounds and becoming millionaires in a <laughs> place that still doesn't value us. It's about breaking down the system that we've been brought into, that we've been born into, and that we've been forced to live in and actually removing it and creating a system that's fair for like everyone. I think that's a really, really, really important point. Um, and it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you saw any of the stuff that Channel 4 did on Friday. You know, they had their Black to Front um, day, which is where the, for the whole day they only had shows with, with Black oh, people. Is it? Oh, my God. See that. Yeah, no, you, they still go and watch it on um, on um, okay. on demand because all the shows are still on that. They did like a celebrity. Um, no, they did a, a, a Gogglebox episode with all black people, which oh was my God. Really funny. It was like the funniest episode of Gogglebox I've ever seen. Um, oh. But they did loads of stuff. So they even did um, a channel for like Channel Four News. Um, and it was really, really interesting. And they spoke about lots of different topics like colonialism, all this stuff. And one of the things that um, they had one of the Queen's representatives who's black. I can't remember what his title is. He's got some fancy title. Um, (laughs) And he was talking about how the Queen supposedly supports Black Lives Matter. Um, That's what he said. Um, But he's made this really interesting point, which reminded me of what you just said, which is where he said he's not really interested in people who want to dismantle the current system we're in um which is obviously the exact opposite of what you've just said um so it's, it's interesting isn't it that there's kind of these yeah views within the community where it's like oh we can assimilate um and you're essentially saying let's not assimilate into the system let's build a new yeah. world. um oh my god <laughs> i mean i'm not, not i'm not surprised but is he like rich and stuff I'm I mean, he must be pretty well off. Like, he's got a fancy yeah. title and he works for the Queen. He's got like a, a CBE or OBE or whatever it's called. Oh, yeah. So he must be quite well off, you know. Yeah. No, I feel like I don't want to ster- I don't want to stereotype, but I feel as though there are a lot of, like people, maybe from like the upper class, who have different experiences to probably what I do, feel as though they're very like for the self and like they're for the individual self, and I feel like that. I was reading it like a couple of days ago that comes from like, is it neoliberalism and yeah. how it's like the fact of like, we can like, everything needs to be privatized, just individual for the self and money and wealth for the self. And it's like, if you have this power, then surely we should be able to just manage in this system. But it's like, you can only manage in this system if you have this power. A lot of us, like a lot of us are like, you know, are not millionaires, are not rich. And so we don't want to, we're not able to function in this system that we're in, which is why we need to destroy it. So it's very funny that he says we can we can just join the system because it's the system doesn't do anything for us, literally. Like there are so many black people, not even black people, but ethnic minority people in poverty. Social housing is so bad. Education isn't really representative of the people in their schools. Mm. So yeah, I'm not really surprised that he said that, but it just I think it goes to show that the different experiences black people has shows no the different outcomes their mindset's basically based on their experiences if you know what i mean yeah no that's yeah. that makes perfect sense and that was going to be one of my questions but i think you kind of nailed it anyway which was this idea of whether all black people in britain experience similar right. lives and 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 what the nuances there are but i, I think you've nailed it like i guess classes 
but yeah I think... a big impact on how you I guess what your politics and your views are as, as a black person right yeah I would say like definitely I'm trying to do more but yeah I think class is a big thing because you can literally be like a rich black person and live in like the biggest houses and be quick and be quite blindsided to anything that happens in your race because you're just not in that environment but clearly when you're in the environment when you're around black people and when you're around people who are in poverty and where like death and all that stuff happens around you you're quite aware of how this system has been kind of rigged and how some black people just don't stand a chance because mm. of just where they're, where they're born into not their fault but like the environment that they're in the people that they're around and how like the government and the police kind of police certain areas and stuff so yeah and do you that brings me nicely on to my next question as well um in terms of the, the black lives matter movement um do, do you agree with some of their ideas around defunding of the police or even a step further than that there's abolishing the police altogether like do any of those ideas um like resonate with you or do you do you have any opinions or views on them um I get why they would say like abolish and defund the police because there's a clear like bias to how the police treat white people compared to people who aren't white so I get why they would um I'm not sure because I've read like a few books that say like you know we don't really need police if we rebuild our system to make it fair we won't need police to kind of tackle and try and arrest people because if they're arresting more black people it's not necessary um however I'm not really sure to be honest with you um yeah it's kind of bittersweet because you know police are there to like protect us whatever but at the same time they abuse their power a lot to a point where it's like you're not even protecting us you're attacking us like we are the enemy do you know what I mean Mm. um yeah but I do stand for like I think black lives matter them black lives matter themselves I do stand for like what they stand for and I feel like their organization is necessary today because even off the top of my head I can't even think of a black organization that's had as much coverage or is as big as them currently you know, a lot of people talk about like the Black Panthers and like the 60s and 70s and how we need to be like them, we need to be radical when we need to like, you know, have protests constantly and stuff. But I can't think about one now that has as much coverage and maybe power, if you want to say they have power, mm. other than like BLM. Yeah. And are there any, um, when it comes to like the within the UK context specifically, um, are there any policies, obviously we've touched on the police a bit, but are there any policies that you would like to see brought in or any, any kind of major changes that you would like to see that you think would really improve the lives of, of Black people in Britain? Um, yes, there is one that I recently read about and literally gets me so annoyed because I didn't even realise this was a thing. But <laughs> it's the um, Knife, was it Knife Crime Pre- Prevention Act? that was brought in 2019 and it's basically an act where police can basically stop and search you and they do a lot to black kids and even if they haven't got anything all they need to do is convince a judge that you're more likely to carry a knife and then that means that the judge can ban you from being in certain areas Mm -hmm. and if you're 
those certain areas, you could face time in jail. And that act is, when I read that, I was like, how is this even a thing? Like, how can you just assume that someone's going to carry a knife just because of how they are? And not obviously, but they are attacking a lot of black boys in general mm. and getting in areas that, in poorer areas in the UK. And that I think is something that should be changed like immediately because I understand like if they're arresting people with knives and stuff, but the fact that they're stopping and searching people who don't have anything on them, but just trying to build a case on them for the sake of sending them to jail or for the sake of their statistics of showing how young black kids are dangerous, young black kids are the reasons why there's so many stabbings, I think is pretty insane. So that would be one of the main things that I think should go because it affects a lot of young people and that will affect them as they grow up and that will affect their relationship with the police as a whole you know yeah it's that um it's that whole like give it when you give police like a lot of discretion to like decide or make make those kind of on the off the hoof judgments of like oh who do I think looks suspicious (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can easily fall into the into the trap of just arresting yeah basically it's a shame because I said I just read this like recently but imagine like all these people who don't know I just think it's okay to just get stopped and search and it's okay for the police to just like verbally attack you and just take you into court because they're the police and it's crazy how much they probably get away with because people our age don't know because this is a thing that the government have just decided but hasn't really let anyone like be informed about this rule you know yeah and it goes back to I guess your point before where you were talking about asking people to just keep demanding yeah change um, yeah so, so yeah. that'd be one that I would change straight away immediately <laughs> no I think that's a good one I hadn't um I wasn't aware of that um legislation specifically but not surprised it exists I have to say yeah. um cool well my final question then um this is like flown by our conversation um my final question which is my favorite question actually um is what brings you joy as a young black person and that can be a thing that can be a person it can be music cultural like it can be multiple things um but yeah what brings you joy um so reading in general brings me joy but reading books written by black women that is like my my thing like I I recently read a book called The Vanishing Half I forgot who it's by I think it's Brit Oh, Britt Benson, I don't want to get her name wrong, but it was such an amazing book and it was based on colorism. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is like a modern Toni Morrison. Um, it's by Black Woman. It just gives me like, it just makes me so happy because like we are being represented in, in fiction, in text, even though it's probably not as commercially selling as maybe books by J.K. Rowling or something. But the fact that I can just read books written by these Black women who talk about race you talk about beauty like one of my all-time favorite books is the bluest eye by tony morrison her first book and i think that book is just it's obviously heart-wrenching the issues that happen but the fact that even young black girls are represented in fiction yeah that's probably my my thing reading books written by black women not even black women but black people in general um who's my favorite i think my favorite poet is um Oh my gosh, I forgot his name. He wrote Native Son. Mark Wright. No, Richard Wright, one of my favourite authors. 
um, and James Baldwin. Yeah, reading their texts. Yeah, just... always. Yeah. James Baldwin. Yeah, he's so quotable, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that brings me a lot of joy to know you like books. I love books too. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, really nice to hear. Um, so, thank you so much uh, to my guest, Serena, for being part of the Naked Politics podcast, Young, British, and Black. Thank you.